welcome to this week's episode of Where Peter Is Live. I'm your host, Rachel Amiri. I'm production editor for wherepeteris.com. Tonight, we're going to discuss two major themes of Pope Francis's pontificate, mercy and synodality. And we are joined by a special guest. I'm going to show you everyone who's here tonight. Tonight, we're joined by Don Clemmer. Hi, Don. Hi, Rachel. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. And we have Mike Lewis, as usual. Hi, everybody. Lewis leader. And we have David Lafferty joining us from Canada. Hi. David, you want to lead us off with a prayer before we really get going? Sure. Um, we decided to start with just a very simple Hail Mary for Mike's sister, who uh, is in the hospital right now. And, and we're, um, we're all uh, praying for, for her protection and her recovery. So, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of our uh, fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. We can tell you've been praying that one a lot, David. Yeah, yeah. Terrible. <laughs> I know. Mumble it to yourself. You know, it's like one of those things where, and then yeah. you're on stage with all of our with our I vast know. our vast audience. The simplest prayer I can I can mess up. So, Don, you're joining us tonight. I'm going to just read your bio so everyone knows who you are. Um, your work has appeared in the National Catholic Reporter, Catholic News Service, America and U.S. Catholic, and you edit Crossroads Magazine for the Catholic Diocese of Lexington. Um, and then from 20, 2008 to 2016, you were, the communications, you were in the communications department of the USCCB, correct? That's correct. That's all. Well, thanks for joining us tonight. I know that you and Mike know each other. Yeah, so we worked in the communications department. I guess we overlapped for five or six years in there. Mm -hmm. And um, Don was a protege of the great Sister Marianne Walsh, the, um, the, the legendary media relations guru of... Um, Spokesnun. 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 That's a technical that is term. Yeah, uh, I remember great. reading her blog posts, like for the USCCB communications department, like the original like blogger format of the blog yeah. posts, like yeah. 15 yeah. years ago. Yeah. And I designed the banner at the top of the the Did top you? of the blog. It was well, there was there was one that wasn't very attractive, but then I I came up with five or six, and one of them I or several were were not the most serious attempts, but one of them I had. USCC blog, you know, with the V is the, and I just threw that together as, a, and then they decided that that was their favorite. And so that was um, the banner. They might even still be, well, probably not because they've changed their webpage, but um, yeah. It, it was like just hosted on Blogger though. I, it might've survived the the transition over. I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I, I don't read it regularly myself, so. If it's even used, I'm not sure if it's around anymore. But the oh, early stories days, we could tell. <laughs> you have Sorry. stories. Well, we we will. <laughs> we're not here swapping stories tonight. Tonight we were planning on talking about mercy and synodality. And Don, you recently um, authored a piece in U.S. Catholic Magazine, um, and we'll share a link um, in the comments so our viewers and future listeners can access that. Um, but it was pretty long and it was about um, Pope Francis ca has called for an age of mercy, that's the title, and where is it? 
So what, what kind of led you to write the piece? Well, I mean, I, I think it's a great pivot from Sister Marianne, a sister of mercy, uh, and, uh, and a younger member of that community uh, weighs in uh, on the topic. But I, I, as a, you know, as an English major, like the theological and historical and all these other fields, I have no business in pieces of um, the Pope saying, oh, you know, we're entering uh, a, a new era, you know, in human events, and it's an, an age of mercy. It, it, I mean, it, I think it's a fair question to say, just what, what's he getting at there? What, what's that all about? And so I, I just started pulling on those threads from what, you know, well, what do we understand about mercy from uh, the, the, the standpoint of like, just looking at the, the recent history of the papacy. Um, and what it revealed, and I think, and this links into uh, the other issue, synodality, is that um, we don't appreciate the fact that we're caught up in this narrative that spans longer than our lifetimes in terms of um, uh, Francis isn't the first pope to call for an age of mercy. It, it's right there uh, in the um, opening address from John the Twenty Third at the Council. Um, it was pointed out to me while I was doing my research that, uh, you know, this is uh, something that uh, John Paul went back to again and again and again and again throughout his pontificate, and that there's a, a real continuity there. Um, uh, and it was um, uh, Dan Philpot at Notre Dame who cast it really excellently. He said, like, the, the mercy is how... Um, God responds to evil and violence. You, you know, you have you have the crucifixion and you have the resurrection, and you have something like um, the first half of the 20th century, and then you have these this room full of bishops at the council who've all survived the war, kind of dusting themselves off and saying, oh, "How how do we be better?" and uh, and and so we, you know, sixty years not even is uh, nothing in terms of uh, some something taking root in the church or you know and but it's uh so we're we, we're you know just a few generations into kind of this new and only uh, an era marked by only accelerating change and that just brings out the fact that times of change as another. Uh, uh, source pointed out to me are really uh, disorienting things where people get kind of freaked out and um, and so there, there's a lot to be had there in terms of like showing mercy like that you know pe people just you know oh. uh, one example is like you know what we, we, def we define so much of our work of our worth by our work and it's like, you know, how, how many of our jobs will be, you know, done by automated programs by a decade that we will see. Yeah. Um, Defense of the papacy by machine. Oh, yeah. No, that ultramontane robots. But, but, but it, it points to the upheaval yeah. and it points to where you know, we, we uh, there will there will def the field hospital will definitely be open. Uh, and uh, not not wanting for business, and uh, it, it's a, so there's a chance to be merciful, 
but also to kind of mine this gift. Like, what do we think that it is? Because it, it's also kind of an antidote for all the things that we get perennially wrong in the discourse. Like, like, that, like not this ditch, not that ditch, but here's something we could try. And of course, it's just so antithetical to how we how we usually engage. But it's uh, so so that was that was really uh, rewarding. And, uh, but it, it also, uh, I found myself, uh, writing about, uh, synodality that this notion of like the, the listening church that, you know, where we've got these voices from the periphery kind of coming in and, uh, and how that, um, uh, can, can help make us merciful. Like, you know, we, 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 we have, we have ignorance really unjust ignorance of what our brothers and sisters in the Amazon are going through uh, until, you know, we pass the mic to them uh, at, a, at a synod of bishops. And they say, well, you know, let us tell you what being Catholic is like in, in 2019. And, and the resistance that it's a, there's a big growing pain, I think, as we become a church of mercy. Um, yeah. Like you were saying, I mean, one thing that, that popped into my mind and when we're talking about era of mercy uh, the big change to the, to the liturgical calendar that uh, John Paul II made was adding Divine Mercy Sunday to yes. the, you know, the second week of um, of Easter. But um, also, you bring up the Amazon Synod, and I think that was a really eye opening moment for me. It was, mm. I mean, I keep saying that was sort of the moment that made where Peter is that put us on the map because there was a. Mm there's a discord between a church that was, um, you know, I guess the mainstream church was, was just covering the synod and, oh yeah, there's some people that you can ignore that you should ignore that are like, you know, screaming outside. Um, and we noticed that, that, that this was, be, that this was actually becoming a pretty big movement within the church and that it, something bad, was going to happen and we needed to address it. So Pedro Gabriel and David and I and several other people wrote pieces basically trying to explain um, enculturation, trying to explain, like Pedro really dug into what is their, uh, you know, how they enculturated Christianity in the Amazon. What is Pachamama? What isn't Pachamama? Is this statue Pachamama? No, it's not. Um, and trying to walk people through it, thinking that maybe at some point it's like, oh, okay, well, this is the logical, rational answer. But what we, what we ran up to is, is what culminated when that guy chucked the, the figurines mm -hmm. into the, into the river. And it's, um, I mean, I guess that's the where Peter is angle to it. It's sort of like, there's this dilemma, there's this rock that we're hitting as we're trying to move forward with the church, not, we're not trying to move the church forward. We're trying to move forward with the church. And, um, and and yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, but there's just this resistance. Well, but I mean, and it get, but it gets to like the the transitional nature of it again. Like that, this yeah. isn't what it always felt like. And when 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 we talked uh, um, for, about the the Amazon city for the story, like it was tracking with a conversation we were having about like truth and reconciliation commission, like denazification and all of like, you know, what do you do when the worst of the storm is passed and you're picking up the, you know, the pieces of your house, like, um, and, uh, 
and strangely enough, and listening to you just now, it kind of re- resonated again. It leads you to something like um, Black Lives Matter, this notion of you, you find um, a, a segment of your fellow travelers who are, who, who, whose hackles are really raised by, oh, you know, we've got to learn about, you know, you know, these, this, these experiences that I haven't had, what are you trying to bring me along to? I don't know if I trust, uh, like, like, I think the lines between that and um, like some of the ugliness at the, the Amazon Synod, I I mean, it's all of a piece as far as I'm concerned. Well, I've noticed myself that this idea of synodality is taking a very long time to sink in for a lot of people. I think there's a lot of people who, who don't understand it and so ignore it. Um, and then there's people who, um, you know, seem to be intentionally ignoring it, like kind of putting it aside. And then there's you know some who are actively opposing it. Um, and I think, you know, it's because this is, to me, this is such an incredibly radical idea. I think where, when we talk about synodality, we often underestimate just how um, incredibly new and, um, <laughs> you know, powerful this is, um, this idea. It's really, I think the, uh, you know, like, like Pope Francis talks about, I think this is really the fulfillment in many ways of Second Vatican Council. This is like the, the second big phase of the implementation of the council. And uh, I think it, it could potentially open the door to a lot of uh, wonderful, wonderful things. And it's one of the most exciting aspects of, the church for me right now. I can also see how it can. It's going to lead to a lot of clashes, a lot of tensions, a lot of misunderstandings. Um, so I, I really appreciate that you you wrote this piece, um, which which really to me explains synodality in such a, a powerful way. But we've we've seen and and um, in the uh, the Amazon Synod uh, again that you know this is going to be a very rough process. This is going to be a process where there's going to be a lot of um, false starts and, um, you know, uh, painful uh, trials, I think. But um, we're and, and we're also seeing it in the, um, you know, the, the synodal way in Germany and the problems that are, we're running into there, um, because it's it's not just enough to kind of open the doors to this idea of synodality. It has to be done right. It has to be done you know, according to the sort of principles that Pope Francis has has laid out, right? And I think I think one of the things, and I what and what you said, I agree with everything you said, but I can see how somebody listening to this or watching this will hear what you say and interpret it as something different, um, because some people seem to have this notion that synodality is um, delegation or it's democratizing like, okay, the Amazon church, they can go do their own thing and the Germans can go do their own thing and they can all come up with their own decisions. But really um, one of the things, one of the keys to Francis's vision for synodality, and I know Cardinal Joe Tobin gave a very good talk on this recently, um, is the idea of walking together. And Pope Francis at the end of the first synod on the family in 2014, um, he talked about the importance of walking with and under Peter, you know, but Peter is there, the guarantor of it all. Go ahead and bring whatever you want. 
out on the table and let's let's discuss this let's see how the spirit moves us if you really feel that this issue is really important i mean people th that was one of the things that got me was cardinal casper the way he was treated the pope invited him to make this um you know to make this proposal which was within legitimate discussion in the church for you know for at least the 1970s and and early 80s and then um okay well let's let's talk about it again and let's let's see if there's anything from this we can draw if there are possibilities that we haven't really considered and then the end result would be was ultimately amoris letizia which wasn't identical to the casper proposal but it was I think it was influenced, you know, you've got to see, you've got to go over the line. You've got to discuss going over the line to see where the line is. And I don't see that as dangerous as a Catholic because we believe that the Holy Spirit guides the church. Uh, but other people felt a little bit differently. Yeah, the I mean, Pope Francis talks about the, the levels of synodality, that how it's supposed to proceed and it's supposed to start with the people in their, you know, like kind of concrete lived situations and then it goes to the pastors and then who who you know listen to the people and um you know the communities that they're part of then it goes up to the bishops right and then eventually it makes its way up to the pope who has you know he's, he's listening to the whole church this way um all the parts of it um and then can make decisions um so it's you know Pope Francis describes it too as an inverted pyramid, and it really is like that. It's uh, um, if we're if we're used to thinking of the church as kind of like a, a regular pyramid where just commands come down from on high, and our only duty is to obey them and not question them or not you know um, uh, not have any input, um, then it's going to be a difficult concept. This idea that we have this listening church where. People are going to start saying things. People are, and that message is going to get up to the Pope. But that's that's the key: is keeping the whole church in the picture. That all of this has to come up in the end to the Pope, who, who in the end makes the decisions. I mean, we saw that in the the Amazon Synod, where you had that whole um, uh, the issue of the the Viri uh, Probati um, and how it became. Uh, I think uh, Pope Francis described that it, it became more like a kind of parliamentary process or something like that where people were kind of campaigning on either side for or against it and it it became kind of poisoned by that sort of parliamentary sort of way of thinking um and so in the end he decided you know what uh, we're not going to touch it we're not gonna it's this isn't the time the holy spirit isn't guiding us to make a decision right now um so if it doesn't have that aspect of true discernment if it doesn't have you know the involvement of the holy spirit um and it's it's not the, the true synodality. And isn't this really where the concept of mercy really enters in? Because it is kind of an expression of mercy for that pyramid to be inverted, for the leaders to listen to all of the people who are really walking with the church, who are on the ground, who are in the field hospital, and bringing them into like a participation and listening is that is itself a merciful action. It's like turning your attention towards people who don't usually get attention. And so we can see then how Francis's actions of like going to the peripheries and instructing his pastor to do that is 
that merciful listening as part of the synodal process is like what he's calling towards. And personally, when I've read, you know, a lot of the kind of um, controversy surrounding um, various recent, you know, synodal processes, people seem to view it through a lens of like politics, like worrying that different factions are going to manipulate the church's teaching somehow. And so it's almost like they're missing, they're missing the rationale and they're missing the point and they're missing the vision. And I don't know if that's... I mean, that, you know, that will happen too, and it has happened already, but at the same time... <laughs> <laughs> At the same time, if, if we're if we're really engaged in that synodal process, we're going to see when that's happening. We'll we'll recognize it. I think you know everyone kind of saw it at the Amazon synod that you know there were like these different factions and stuff. You know, so um, hopefully that those things will become apparent. It won't be possible to kind of sneak an agenda through, right? Um, I don't think you can get an agenda past the Pope. I don't. I, I I'm I'm pretty confident that. Uh, <laughs> You know, even if you really try, it would be hard to fool uh, fool the Pope in that kind of context. Yeah, I know that um, Rodrigo Guerra was, uh, he was, when we interviewed him, he took part in that 2014 Synod on the Family. And he noticed that there were two different, you know, they, they said the two different synods going on, the one that actually took place in the hall, and then the one that was going on in the media. And there were certain characters. And he even he even asked Cardinal Burke, like, to his face, like, what are you doing? Why are you trying to undermine this? And uh, he said, Cardinal Burke gave him a look and <laughs> left the room. But um, he went to Francis, though, and he's, you know, he's saying, you know, Holy Father, this stuff is happening. You know, what are we going to do about it? And um, and Pope Francis said, "You don't pray enough, do you?" And <laughs> so, if you haven't listened to that podcast, I think it's the second one I did with. Well, it's a three-parter with Rodrigo, and it was a good one. So, uh, I encourage anyone to go back to that one. But a little bit of inside story, um, because he, you know, he saw it happening, and and. Um, it's one of those things that's that's divided friendships and divided close relationships. I mean, some of his closest professors became, um, you know, on opposite sides of 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 that of that divide. And it's just sort of like, are you with the Pope? Do you do you trust the Church, or or do you have you? And I mean, I don't want to criticize people as having a loss of faith, but it's like, do you either do you, do you believe that the Catholic Church is what you know what the church says it is or not so anyway sorry and that kind of gets at our our endemic discomfort with with mercy because yeah. i mean that that has been you know whether it's we're looking at these families or you know we're looking at just what on earth is going on with these young people or we're setting out for uh the amazon like that the, they're they're there, there's always that sense of like, you know, uh, I, I, I don't want to go right to the to the prodigal's older brother, but like that 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 resistance of uh, of uh, oh no, we're not gonna you know, and 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 on some level, I guess that's almost like the the churchy version of looking at it through a factional lens, but yeah, I, at least I think it's a couple notches closer to well i mean it's it's yeah. it's welcoming someone back early 
you know, welcoming somebody back before they've paid their dues, before they've made their full amends. I mean, she, he saw, the father saw the prodigal son off in the distance and ran up to greet him and then threw him a party. You know, the, the son, yeah, he had some, he had some words when he got back, but the father just sort of like, no, no, we're, you know, you're back. Um, and I think that it, there's a natural instinct. I mean, I, I remember, and it was Pope Benedict who really did a good exegesis on that in, in Jesus of Nazareth, because I always sympathized with the older brother. That was always a big part of me, you know, it was just sort of like I, being, being the Catholic kid and being in the religious family and all that kind of stuff. It's like, why don't I get to have the fun? Like everybody else, you know, I don't know if that, or I always felt kind of bound by my, by my morals or having to stand up for my beliefs or whatever. And, and then, um, you know, and I was like, well, you know, and, and, and here's this guy that comes back after having all this fun. And, you know, I, I think that's, I mean, that's really the way people are thinking about it. They're like, think of those people who, who did have to, with uh, Morris Letitia, who did have to abstain for that many years, or think about all those people who didn't have married priests for all those years. And they just had to make do with seeing the priest once every, you know, eight years. And, you know, I don't know. Well, a, a few things that jumped out researching the article, Mike, were, were um, just like mercy as God's gift and, and just, you know, this free and totally unfettered uh, and gratuitous God of ours. Uh, and then the mystery that's wrapped up um, in both mercy, but also wrapped up in conversion. And, and, and there were people said some really interesting things about like, you know, someone else's conversion is not there for my entertainment. It's not there for my sense that, oh, everything is right with the world. Um, and that, and, and maybe that's just me um, piling onto the poor older brother again. But, but, but these, but these are the sort of things that got teased out and I'd never, never really thought about them that, that way, but it, it did draw me closer to like, you know, that, that, that there is something, um, uh, yeah, w w wondrous at the at the heart of all of this. A mystery, really. I mean, that's yeah. it's the mystery of mercy, and I I don't know where that has come from in in my lexicon, but I believe it's Pope Francis. You know that um, we can't really understand God's working in other people's lives, and it's not there for us to like comprehend and make sense of and tie a bow on it. And now I have a message that I can apply to my own. It's really to understand that God's working in their life and God's working in my life and God has shown me mercy. So now I need to extend that to others. And I, I believe that that was kind of the sense I got from you. You had a lot of like wide ranging interviews in, in your piece and someone did speak of mercy in that way that we have to recall that we've been shown mercy to show it to others. Um, and that's just, that does seem to be the method that Francis is trying to like drag us all <laughs> toward into recognizing. Uh, another uh, piece that really ties together mercy and synodality. Um, it was the, uh, the judicial vicar in Milwaukee, really lovely guy uh, who uh, talked about um integration is something that like in a canonical way is applied. Like when you, when you're like, all right, we've got the situation. How do we normalize it? How do we bring it? How can we, you know, uh, yeah, bring it up the ramp if you will. And like that, 
and when you're approaching you know the life uh, of, of someone that that's involved like it, it's not healthy for something to be compartmentalized like how does this get you know made part of who this whole person is and um and so that's uh so that's mercy, but that is also synodality, this notion of, again, like how are the peripheries integrated into how the, you know, whatever you want to call it, the, the, the nerve center, the brain, the heart, the head, you know, uh, does its, its calculus as it functions. You quoted Carolyn Wu saying that synodality is subsidiarity in action. So that's, that's what just came to mind when you said that it was it's bringing the people who are at the lowest rungs of the church kind of into making them heard and, and recognizing them. Um, we also wanted to bring in this very recent lecture that Cardinal Tobin gave, um, I believe it was Tuesday of this week. Was it March 4th? It was at Loyola University in Chicago. It's um, the Hank Center sponsored this. It's, I, I believe it's an annual lecture that they invite um, a cardinal to give. Um, and it was, it's the common cause lecture and he delivered it earlier this week. Um, we're going to link it also. Um, we had some clips we wanted to show. I don't know. Um, we can get into that. I don't know if there, if there was anything anyone wanted to kind of introduce the lecture a little bit um, before we just, because it'll take over. Well, yeah, Don, why don't you give some of the background? Because you're the one who recommended yeah. we talk about it. Sure, sure. Well, I, I, I set out to write about the age of mercy and ended up writing a lot about synodality. And he talks about synodality as the long game of Francis and ends up talking a lot about uh, mercy. But it, it's, um, and even though like, you know, uh, you know, Francis was name dropping Cardinal Casper in like the first 48 hours, but um, I believe it's um, the, he, he notes that, um, synodality is something that's been right there from the offset uh and he and he sets the scene with uh with the literally the the introduction of francis uh to the world maybe we could start there sure um so i think that's our first clip mike do you want to play yeah <laughs> jesus did a lot of walking he also gave us the great commandment to go forth and make disciples of all nations. Paul looked back on his ministry saying that he had run the race. And more recently, John the 23rd offered one rationale for calling the Second Vatican Council to make the human sojourn on this earth less sad. And it's apt to note that John the 23rd's contribution because in so many ways, we are still caught up in the leg of the journey that he initiated with Vatican II. Well, that, that's a perfectly applicable <laughs> clip, too. Uh, oh, that wasn't another, the one we were talking about? That was <laughs> There's another one where he notes, like, you know, Francis on the balcony was already talking about bishop and people, bishop and people walking together. But, um, but but yeah, talk about getting to the same house through two different doors. Like, you know, you say, what's this age of mercy about and end up with John at the opening of the council. And, um, and, and he, and, and he's saying that synodality also, you know, really, you know, begins to flower with, um, with that synodal act of, of the second Vatican council and, and uh, John throwing open the windows and, and everything else. 
And, and he really, uh, sorry. The Synod of Bishops, I mean, it really is the fruit of the council. It was established by Paul VI as a way to carry on the work of the council, as a way to continue uh, Vatican II. The, the, so. the process, though, was the, of, of kind of opening up synodality within the church, I think, though, has taken quite a long time. I mean, I think Tobin talks about, he calls them pseudo-synods pseudo um, that came after the council that were, you know, these were synods, but they weren't truly synodal in this in the sense that uh, the fullest sense right and so with with pope francis we're kind of entering into this phase where you know we're, we're digging down deep now and um you know uh, cardinal tobin i think in that um when he talks about uh uh you know the opening the doors of the church he says um one of the things that happens when you open the door of the church is you actually you start to hear the voices of the people below and I think that's what we're starting to see now is, is the, the, the voices of the people below kind of becoming an actual part of this process in a, in a, a new way that um, maybe they weren't before. You say in, you know, a, uh, a monitor configuration of, uh, uh, you know, four, four lay people scattered across geographically with, uh, uh, on the on the God willing tail end of a pandemic. So yes, I, I uh, as a as a communicator, I feel obliged to point that out and say, <laughs> you're right, David. Yes. <laughs> David, I'm kind of wondering, like, because you have a, a little bit more of a historical background, and I don't know if I'm talking out of school here, but I I kind of get the sense that up through the 19th and early party, part of the 20th century, you might almost classify, at least by reading the official documents and, and a lot of the theology, um, you might almost classify the church as a reactionary church in a lot of ways. Um, and I think when you look at Pope Francis, you have the opposite of a reactionary in the fullest sense. I mean, everybody has a little, I mean, I, I have a little, reactionary in me and um you know i i but i think and obviously you know john paul and and benedict got oh we lost mike a little dictionaryism at all oh am i back you're back um yeah. but I'm, I'm wondering if part of the shift if it i guess it really i, I guess what i'm getting at is it's it really is a real concrete shift we're talking about here into the era of mercy and into the era of synodality. When when people are uh, when the church is actually willing to let go of some of that control of some of that um, security to let people put their voices out there. Yeah, and 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 that's something that you know hasn't always happened at times of great change in society. So. You know, like during the period of the Reformation, you know, the church, uh, you know, I would argue, became more reactionary, um, became more uh, defensive and, and antagonistic. And then um, that continued on into the, like in the 19th century, you get the rise of, um, you know, modern philosophy and liberalism and all these things. And then the church got even more reactionary in, in response to it, right? Um, and it, it, I think um, it came to be seen, you know, maybe as a, a failing strategy in the end that every time they did this the church became sort of less capable of 
walking, right? Like it became more um, like caught up in its own defenses. Um, and then you get people breaking away from it all the time, you know, whether, you know, during the Reformation or, or after the, even after the, you know, the first Vatican Council with the old Catholic Church and, and that sort of thing. Um, and then you get to Vatican II, and there was this threat maybe, you know, that the same thing could happen again, um, that, that the church would just kind of pull back into defensive mode, you know, um, even further. But I don't think they could even go any further. <laughs> I think they had gone as far as they could possibly go. And the time was like, all right, this time we're going to open up. We're going to take a new tack here and uh, and, and try to, uh, to change. And that's like, you know, we were talking about... Um, Pope uh, John the Twenty Third there, and, and uh, uh, him that distinction he made between moving from a, a church of you know focused on severity to a church focused on mercy, that is a massive change in the attitude of the the church, um, and I think we're still struggling with that. I think a lot of us there's still a sort of like cult of severity within the church. Like we want to hang on to that. Um, and I mean, if you're out, if you're on social media and you're you're arguing with people and stuff, it's it's incredible. Like people will speak like a 19th century pope when they're like attacking you, but you know, like it's just such severe, uh, harsh language. Um, and, I speak like a 19th century pope back. At them. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anathema seat. <laughs> I just pull from the 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 syllabus of errors where it's like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> non-infallible teachings are still binding on yeah <laughs> i mean that stuff is all in there yeah it's pretty harsh I mean, now you know that some of that language may have been necessary at the you know at certain points in history to get a point across that you know and to make it to make everyone listen um but um you know we're, we're in a, a very different time now um so yeah i think we're still having trouble adapting that position of mercy that, that Pope Francis has been modeling, you know, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's some, sometimes it's because, you know, people sometimes sacrifice a lot to, to practice the faith and to, you know, to be Catholic. And, um, you know, they sometimes have family troubles, lose friends, you know, run into all sorts of, you know, issues. And you, you kind of think like, well, you know, this is the only thing I've got that I can kind of glory in that, that I'm right. And I can kind of, you know, uh, be severe with others and, 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 you know, be like kind of talk down to them, you know, and, and it's hard to give that, to give that up. Right. And to, to show mercy towards people who haven't maybe made those same kind of sacrifices. Um, but that's what mercy is about. It's extending, um, you know, forgiveness and empathy towards people who, may not deserve it even right like and that's 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 the key it's not um it seems it seems to go against justice um that's for a lot of people i think that's the thing is you know it doesn't seem just you know that we'd be merciful towards people who um you know don't like the church people who um you know are are you know failing in terms of their you know the way that they they live their lives but uh but that's that's the essence of it and that's that's where my inner reactionary comes out. Actually, it's when, um, you know, Burke and Strickland and Vigano do their thing, and Pope Francis doesn't do anything about it. You and know, he, it. yeah. And it's I like I've kind of gotten to the point down. where I don't expect him to do anything about it, but um, right. you know, and and people, but and people use the fact that he hasn't. 
dissenters or whatever. Um, but I guess maybe we shouldn't even be talking in those terms. I, I don't know. Don, what do you think? <laughs> well, I, it, well, back to what uh, David was saying that, you know, like we set up a dichotomy of mercy and justice and that, that, that's like, that's not how it works. Like they, they, they're interrelated at a much deeper level and are components of one another. Um, and, uh, and it gets, you know, bandied around a lot, but this notion of our, our relational understanding of justice and, and, you know, right relationship. And I think what's being augmented for us perhaps in this, uh, uh, you know, this, ecclesial minute of the last 60 some years is that um right relationship uh has to have a strong core of mercy or or it's just not going to withstand all the things that are being that we're all getting pelted with at all times like we're it's just the humanity implodes under um the conditions of the world today if we if we don't have uh um if we don't have that uh that impulse to be to 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 follow god's lead in being almost grossly merciful or you know like just that's, and, that's it, really true yeah uh cardinal casper in that book that uh, he wrote that pope francis uh read and found you know very profound he talks about mercy as um the expression of god's absolute sovereignty so um mm. god you know isn't bound by any kind of abstract rules of justice it's not like mm -hmm. god says oh I, I wish i could be merciful to you but sorry these are the rules i can't really step beyond that no god can can do that god and does that right um and gives you know mercy to people when he wants to and to, to people sometimes who don't deserve it you know it, and it 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 upsets our our sense of what's right and what's wrong and what people deserve, but it's it's the uh, that expression of God's absolute sovereignty. Otherwise, we're kind of trapped within this sort of moral system that we think even God can't you know um, transcend. Mm. Well, that, and that gets into oh, go ahead, Rachel. I was going to say it's really striking. Um, thinking just we've we've been talking about how you know Vatican II really inaugurated this program of mercy and thinking about reactionaries and then what Vatican II was, it was not a reaction to the prior, you know, 50 years of humanity's experience on this planet, which involved um, multiple world, world wars, millions of innocents killed, mass genocide, um, atomic bombs dropped in, like incinerating our neighbors across mm -hmm. the globe. Um, and, the church is really responding to these signs of the times, not not reacting. And the response was turning towards this radical need for mercy and forgiveness in in relationship with one another. And I think that um, what what I keep hearing people talk about here is um, this this turn is really demanding a lot of us on a personal level, and we keep seeing it in. In different new situations and playing out in new scenarios. So in synod on the family, in bringing to bear um, mercy in how we think of and deal with people who are not like us. Um, and so what I was trying to kind of 
get to with that is this idea that the war scenarios and like historical events that are happening that cause major upheaval can inspire the church to respond in new and creative ways. And we continue to see that today. Mm. And I know that in Cardinal Tobin's lecture, he referred to, um, you know, movements like social movements in the United States, like Black Lives Matter and movements for racial justice. And you spoke to people in your piece who were working for that in different places in the country. But then also like the abuse crisis in the church calls us to respond in new ways. So I don't know if like that's part of what we're talking about too, is this mercy coming to bear, not only like as this theoretical thing, but as a direct response to events in the world and how that's really a new thing that the church is trying to do. Like it's a new mode of being. I, I, this, this almost feels like a, a, a public service announcement, but like, you know, <laughs> the, the, the mer most merciful thing I can do for my neighbor is, is, uh, not give him a, a, a communicable respiratory disease that could kill him. Right. Like, and, and like that's, and in the Vatican's got a, a, a commission on COVID-19 where they're doing mm -hmm. everything from, uh, you know, assistance to lo local churches on the ground to um, uh, like multinational because the Vatican's a state, like, you know, uh, multilateral talks and make, uh, and I know they, you know, are supporting uh, waiving the int the intellectual property uh, mm -hmm. stuff on the the vaccine. So I mean, they're very upfront about this is a a love your neighbor, be merciful to your neighbor. Uh, we live in a society kind of moment, and uh, uh, so yeah, it does. It definitely, you know, didn't end. Um, uh, with the horrors of the first half of the 20th century. And uh, we we continue to, to have signs of, of the times all around us that point us toward, uh, you know, what, what, uh, what does an authentic gospel response look like? And I think Fratelli Tutti really points yeah. in that direction. I mean, I, I think it, it's further implementation of Vatican II. It's, um, you know, people say it's not it's not compromising on our faith. It's it, but it is. Thank uh, you, um, froze there. How this world? What's am I back? Hello, you got me. No, hello. Now you're back. I can hear you Fratelli say hello, but you can hear me. Okay, well, it says that I've got a, a signal now. I don't know. Can you hear me now? Can you hear okay. me speaking? All right. Yes. So Fratelli Tutti is despite our differences and acknowledging our differences and res but respecting that there are things that we can do to work together despite our differences, whether it's other religions, whether it's other countries. Um, how, how do we work together to make a better world? Um, and ultimately, that fosters evangelization. It's not a matter of conquest or coercion, but it's being able to uh, respect each other's free will and 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 work together on our shared values and 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 really live out the gospel in a way that is more profound than you know the actions more than words. To use a fake quote from Saint Francis of Assisi. <laughs> And on that on that theme, Mike, um, just uh, I, I was I was rereading um, 
the it's this is the Pope Francis's address um, in, in 2015, October 2015, uh, at the 50th anniversary of the institution of the Synod of Bishops. This is the one where he really first laid out this whole idea of synodality, and uh, he says right at the end of it, um, he says the commitment to build a synodal church, a mission to which we're all called, each with the role entrusted to him by the Lord has significant ecumenical implications. And he talks about uh, a delegation that he had received from the Patriarchate of Constantinople. So um, the idea of, this is this is, to me is really profound that synodality could have real implications for pursuing, you know, unity with uh, other Christians. Um, and, you know, in particular, um, the synodal aspects of uh, orthodoxy, which are, are very important there. Um, I mean, Pope Francis even talks about, he brings up um, a quote from Pope John Paul II, who had said that in the service of, you know, ecumenical unity, he would be willing to reevaluate like the role of the Pope um, or the, the, the sort of, the, the, the level of sort of authority of the Pope and, and kind of cast a new, um, cast it in a new light um, if, you know, if this would, you know, potentially further um, some kind of union between um, Christians. Uh, so to me, that's incredibly profound that this idea of synodality could lead to, you know, a new understanding of the Catholic Church, but also a new understanding of how we relate to, uh, you know, Orthodox Christians, Protestants. Um, it's uh, it's really a, an incredible opening up with uh, huge implications. But of course, at the same time, it's threatening because it threatens our really distinctive Catholic identity, right? And so um, that, that's, that's kind of, you know, threatening to a lot of people. And, and it's also threatening because you're describing mercy, like beyond the structural pieces of it, it's this notion of a rediscovered sense of shared belonging it's integration and and ultimately it's when can we make the jump when can we say all right come here um yeah we, yeah it's close enough that we could that we could yeah it's probably and, an incredibly long process right but it's a process that starts with listening and well and, and francis out. said it's not going to happen with the theologians yeah, like that's not yeah. it's not it's not going to happen in a meeting where they broker out a deal about, OK, well, let's hammer out these rules and these limits and these doctrines. Yeah, yeah. It's going to have to take the Holy Spirit to to bring us together, I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, really, that's that's what it is. And. Yeah, I'm tailing off. Um, do you want to do you want to show another Tobin quote, another oh. another Tobin clip? Which one do you want? I'm, I, I, I numbered them the way you did, Don. Oh, geez. Um, I was thinking one that would follow what you were just talking about, Mike, would be the, the long-term institutional conversion that would be the third one, but I, I'm not sure if that was the longer, the longer clip. The, that is the longer clip, but we have nine minutes, and this is okay. two minutes long, so okay. we'll have seven minutes to talk about it. Since I mentioned John the 23rd, Let's draw on him as the starting point to paint a picture of the long-term institutional conversion we are currently caught up in. John XXIII read the signs of turmoil and destruction that had followed humankind out of the first half 
of the 20th century, saw that the church had to be intentional and missionary as it possibly could with its witness. And the way to achieve it, the way to achieve all this was through a council. In effect, he called on the council to create a blueprint for the engine that would power the bark of Peter in the third millennium. John cast a vision. This is what we need to build. Vatican II produced a blueprint. Paul VI set to work, set to work constructing it. John Paul II made sure it kept to the exact specifications required. Benedict XVI put on the finishing touches on this propulsion engine, and now Francis has flipped the switch to on. As Superior General of the Redemptorists, I was privileged to participate in five synods, three under John Paul II and two under Benedict XVI. It was as if they were tuning up an engine. You can see how the method changed over those five synods. You have to tune it up because you can't leave the functions of such a crucial machine to chance. And so it's interesting now that Francis has started revving up the engine to see what it can do, that folks who seem most threatened from the beginning have been the ones with the most engineered grasp of all the norms and canons. If A equals irregular union and B equals not living as brother and sister, then A plus B equals never can be admitted to the Eucharist. To this, I would posit that if you can, you can be the most knowledgeable mechanic on earth and still be a rotten driver. He liked his driving metaphors throughout. Oh, he's from Detroit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of Blues Brothers references and Ferris Bueller in there, too. So Bueller. if you, um, you know, it's worth watching the whole But the thing. engine metaphor does work. And it does, it does um, fit with what we've been talking about, about the post-conciliar, you know, we're turning on the engine and moving in this, using this as a, how we are moving into the future. Um, one of the things that jumps out to me though about, you know, he said he participated in five synods and it was kind of like a learning process, but we've also even seen under Francis's pontificate changes in how the synods are being conducted. And I'm personally, am excited about <laughs> women participating um, in the synods and in the future synod on synodality, we're gonna have sister Natalie. Um, I don't with a vote. Yeah, with a vote at the next Synod. So that's, we're seeing a shift even still. So um, I'm not sure if you, either of you, David or Don would like to comment on um, changes to even the synodal process as it's moving forward. And what, you know, is this principle of mercy motivating that? Is it an inclusivity? Like what, what's motivating it and how, how, what might we expect to see in the future? Well, lots of questions. <laughs> We, we, I mean, we've got <laughs> two millennia of tradition, and then, but then, like, a really um, kind of what's the word? A heavy improvisational sense, like, yeah. like the the freedom of, oh, well, that that was kind of rough. Mm, okay, let's the 
again, even the fact that they're doing a synod on synodality and, and Colonel Tobin touches on that too. And uh, so I, it's, it's, it's a neat tension between like having this vast tradition to draw from, but it's just been 50 some years. Like, <laughs> like it's not, um, yeah, they, they really can yeah. keep, keep adjusting and you know we're, we're, we'll we'll find our feet you know it's uh but it it's uh you know it's 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 uh, we're, we keep waiting for those uh those new wine skins that we ordered from amazon you know like but they <laughs> they haven't come yet so we keep pouring our new wine into the old ones you know <laughs> someone for where peter is needs to because i don't understand how wine skins work and what old like someone's got to like lay that all out for me because i understand that, that that that's a metaphor that people use all the time and but you haven't heard jesus that used, mike, mike. <laughs> it was jesus but... <laughs> it's jesus all I along believe- I believe Jesus explains or I, I don't know. I, I, it's been a while, but I, I just, <laughs> no, but I mean, like, what, why would it be in a, like, it comes in a bottle at the store, at a restaurant, <laughs> it's in a glass. I don't have any skins. It, 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 it's old habits die hard is probably the, the really bland. Old dogs and new tricks. That one too. Yes. I know that one. That's a good one. Uh, that's that you you probably really i could rewrite the gospel according to mike with my own life experiences worked in there my own expressions expresses to mike in in terms that he understands ferris bueller and uh and blues brothers instead of whatever it is they talk about in the bible i'm catholic you know it's the jim gaffigan line sorry are you watching Jeannie? No, I don't think she is. I appreciated though that Cardinal Tobin was kind of pointing out the um the canonists among us who might have the more rigorous approach to, you know, judging the new movements of the church based on the rules that we are most comfortable with. And I know we have like two minutes till we reach our our hour um time frame here, but that is a phenomenon that seems to repeat itself in every new event is we have applying the old to current situations, which is a dynamic process, but it leads to a lot of uh, tensions. So I'm not sure. We'll, we'll see what happens in, uh, in Germany. Um, there's a lot of tensions that are building up there. Um, I think it could be potentially productive tensions in the end. I really hope it is, but um, we'll see what happens. Um, but this is the the other side of synodality, I think, is that mm-hmm. sometimes um, it can be done too quickly. It can be done in the, the wrong, with the wrong sort of spirit, maybe. Um, and uh, I, I'm not condemning the, the synodal way. I think that there's positive elements of it, but I think they maybe need to re- work how they're approaching this idea of synodality to bring it in line with Pope Francis's, uh, you know, fuller vision. Got to make sure it's walking with, as opposed to walking away from or trying to redirect or where it belongs or whatever. Yeah. Taking the wineskin and 
put nowhere, you know, but anyway. Pope Francis's letter to the church in Germany, that's what it was all about. It was, you yeah. know, we need to walk together. So. Mm -hmm. so before we wrap up, I just have two quick things before we give Don the final word. Um, so last week, Christopher Lamb and I did a uh, Twitter Spaces global event. If you have a, a, a mobile a mobile device and you have a, a Twitter app on it, you might notice that at the at the top of the screen there are like these blue circles mostly, but then sometimes there are like purple circles, and those are called Twitter Spaces, and it's sort of like a it's like a conference call that you're listening to, but so much better than that. It, it's a Twitter space. Anyway, Christopher Lamb and I are doing it again tomorrow at noon Eastern time. So if you're on your Twitter machine and you see a purple dot, go ahead and join. And this time we will be joined by none other than America Media's Colleen Dully, who is uh, the Inside the Vatican podcast host, along with Jerry O'Connell, who is America's so sort of a rivalry like I don't know maybe she'll start hosting it with Christopher Lamb from now on instead of Jerry who knows um and then um and, and the other thing I so critical Catholic um David Lafferty and I had our third go around but our, our first live episode on Sunday were you able to watch it Don did you did you tune in to critical Catholic I, I wasn't you weren't Okay. There's a podcast version of it too. You can There's catch a podcast it. version. It's got a cool theme song, and it does. We don't even have as cool as it's theme song. We almost had a theme song this time, but it, it's a long story. Um, and yeah, so Don, where can people find you? What do you do? What what's what's in the future? What are you thinking about? What do you want to tell us? What's your wisdom? Oh, geez. We... Um, I tweet at Clemmer underscore Don. That's a long story. And, uh, and you can occasionally uh, uh, catch me uh, in Catholic News Service, uh, NCR, U.S. Catholic. Um, I, 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 mostly a, a, a print guy, but, uh, but I'll just say this has been an unmitigated delight, and I'm so grateful uh, for the invitation and for, for the the conversations that that you all are are, are fostering, I think it's a really a really positive thing. So thank you, Mike. Thank you, David, and and thank you, Rachel. It's just just a delight. Thanks for joining Thanks for us. Yeah. Great to great to meet you in person, sort of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Same, how we meet people now. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's all for tonight. I don't know if Mike, you might be freezing up again on us, but. Um, so if you are listening or watching live, please share um, this video with everyone on your feed. Um, if you like what we do, um, please subscribe to our podcast and consider becoming a patron for us on Patreon. You can get that link on our website, wherepeteris.com. Um, we should be back next week, but keep Mike in your prayers because he has his other eye doctor appointment next week and he may likely not be with us um but hopefully melinda will be back with us and we will have an exciting new panel of guests um next thursday evening but have a good weekend everyone and thanks for joining us Bye. Bye.